Well, while our kids are leaving tonight, let me remind you of one thing or draw your attention to one thing that's in your uh, bulletin tonight. Uh, next Saturday, following church, we're having a red, white, and blue barbecue. Um, <clears throat> there's at least one word in there that's going to get me to stay. Thank you. Good. Good. Kindred spirit, whoever said barbecue. Good. Uh, so check your uh, bulletin in there uh, for the details. Uh, you're welcome to, it's kind of a, a potluck shared meal thing. So uh, there's a place on our website for you to uh, sign up to bring something. That way we can kind of plan and see what all's coming. But the main dish is provided, is that correct? The barbecue part and the red, white, and blue parts. No? What? The, the decor will make it red, white. Right, yeah, the red, white. Yeah, yeah, your food doesn't need to be blue. Thank you. Good. Thank you for the clarification. So the barbecue is provided, and then you'll, you guys will bring sides, and that'll be awesome, and we'll enjoy it. Thank you so much. Good. Good evening. Hey, awesome. Good. If you've got your Bibles or your apps, uh, look up uh, Matthew chapter 6 is where we are tonight. Uh, Ben got us started into this chapter last week, so we're just kind of continuing this journey, looking at the blessed life as we look through the the Sermon on the Mount, and so now we're into the the middle chapter. We've we've worked our way through chapter 5, we're into chapter 6. And uh, we're just continuing on tonight. In fact, as Ben got us started into Matthew chapter 6 last week, I want to draw your attention to what's, uh, what Jesus says right there at the beginning of the chapter, because he is continuing, um, continuing to look at what does the kingdom life uh, look like in practice. And so now we shift gears a little bit, and we're really looking now at how does, um, how does the kingdom life affect our relationship uh, as we worship the Father or as we, uh, as we live in obedience to Him? And so right there at the beginning in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, Jesus makes this comment. He says, uh, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. Do not do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. All right? And so here, right at the beginning, Jesus is kind of setting the stage for what he's going to be talking about in these next several uh, verses. And Jesus gives us the warning right away, and it's all about our motive. When he says acts of righteousness, uh, if I was just, uh, if it, I'm not doing this, so don't, don't answer out loud. But if I was to ask for examples of acts of righteousness, we would have a range of things that you all could come up with, right? Maybe depending on how long you've been connected in the church, right? Acts of righteousness can have uh, lots of different interpretations, but I want to I have you consider tonight, at its essence, that, it, that righteousness or acts of righteousness are a relational response that we have to what God has already done for us. 
If we were to build the list, it, it would include lots of things, and almost all of them are going to be externals. But I want, I want you to consider tonight. I want you to consider. You can reject it after you've considered it. Maybe it's a bad idea. But I want you to consider that acts of righteousness are our relational response to what God's already done for us. Meaning that what we do is responding to God's love and God's grace and God's forgiveness and God's salvation. That the acts of obedience and love and trust that we do flow not to gain God's attention or his favor, but out of a response for what he's already done for us in the past. So when Jesus says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness to be seen by others. I think Jesus is really drawing our attention to a motive. Why are we doing what we're doing? It's really the question that I want you to wrestle with. It's really the question that I'm going to ask you to take with you tonight as you go. Why are you doing what you're doing? Now, Jesus, in this section, points out or uses as examples, um, he draws attention to three acts of righteousness, and he chooses them intentionally. They weren't just the first things that came to his mind, but he chose them intentionally. Last week, Ben addressed the first of those three acts, which was giving or giving to the poor. And Jesus, uh, just in the way that he opens it, assumes that his followers are going to be generous givers. They're going to give to people in need. He assumes that that's the case. He doesn't say, if you give. He says, when you give. And there's an assumption that his followers are going to do that. So it's not the act of giving that he's drawing warning to. It's the motive. And then tonight, we're going to look at the second that he points out, uh, which is prayer or praying. And then the last one that we'll get to uh, that Jesus uses is fasting. And again, he doesn't say if you fast, but when you fast. These are things that he assumes are going to be true of his followers. And yet, he chooses these three because... For the Pharisees, these were the three big, um, the three big areas that showed a piety in the Jewish life. And certainly for the Pharisees, these were the ones that they wanted to highlight themselves. So we want to focus now in this section and tonight specifically in this idea of prayer, we want to focus on the motive for the action. Why are we giving? Why are we praying? Why are we fasting? And the only answer that really produces genuine fruit is out of love for the Father. Out of love for the Father. We talk about motives. I want to share with you a story. Uh, Claire Nordine, some of you guys know um, the Balsley family, and one of the Balsley girls is Claire, and she married a Nordine, and now their clan's huge. And so, um, but uh, Claire Nordine's got a little girl named Everly. Everly's five. Everly came home one night after our Wednesday night um, 
uh, program up the hill. And so Claire sent me uh, a text that night with a cute story. And this is what she said. She said, tonight Claire came home, or Everly came home from church with a precious little Jesus box that she had made. And Everly said that she has to write down the stuff that she wants and put it in the box and then Jesus will get it for her. So that night, on that Wednesday, she wrote down, skip brushing my teeth, and she wants a Paw Patrol, uh, uh, a lookout tower. I don't even know what that is. Some of y'all will. It doesn't really matter, right? The desires of Everly's heart got written down, put in the little Jesus box. So she goes home and she's telling mom about this. Claire says, I explained to her that Jesus always gets us what's best for us, but it's not always what we want. Well, Everly was adamant that her teacher had told her that whatever she, whatever she puts in the box, Jesus is going to get her. So she wakes up the next morning. First question she asks mom, did Jesus get my, uh, my Paw Patrol t- uh, lookout tower yet? Right? Now, Claire was laughing about it. I will tell you, I didn't find it so funny on the other end of the message. I'm like, what the heck are we teaching these kids? Right? So I had to get glory on the phone, which then she thought it was hilarious too. And then I decided to just have a sense of humor about it. So, but the point was sometimes, guys, sometimes our motive in prayer is a little skewed. And I mean, for Everly at five, uh, it's cute and we can, we can laugh about it and we can look at it as a teachable moment. It's less cute for those of us who have been around for a little while longer and ought to know better, right? When we come, to Jesus in prayer, but sometimes our motives get kind of mixed up as well. Sometimes our motive for giving or our motive for prayer or our motive for fasting is to look good to other people or sometimes to seem more spiritual or um, to appear more dedicated or maybe to, to look like we're more humble or, or more sincere than maybe we really are. Our heart gets a little twisty sometimes. And that uh, the motive can easily be skewed. So Jesus just gives us a warning. He gives us a warning about the motive because if our motive is to gain that praise from other people, to gain the pat on the back, whether that's physical or just implied, Jesus says, that's all the reward that's going to come. There's no eternal benefit then to it because you've gained all the reward that you're going to get. So I want to encourage you to test your motives. Test your motives. As you're thinking about the question for the night, why do we do what we do? I want to encourage you to test them. Test your motives. Why are you doing it? And that's a conversation you got to have with yourself and with, with God saying, God, reveal to me the motive. Why am I doing what I'm doing? And you can ask that question in a bigger picture kind of way. And you can also ask that question in a very specific way as you consider um, the next action. Right? An opportunity to give presents itself And ask yourself the question, why would I say yes to that? Am I gaining any other benefits other than 
using gifts for somebody else's, uh, to help someone else and to honor the Lord. We gotta, we gotta test our own motives. We'll draw your attention now to Matthew chapter 6 in verse 5. This is our text for tonight. It says, Jesus says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to to pray standing in the synagogues and in the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, when you pray... Go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who is unseen, and then your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. That's an interesting thing. Jesus is kind of painting this picture. He's giving an example. He's saying, now the Pharisees do it this way. And they they go into public places, they pray out loud because they want to be seen and they want the praise. Right? They wanted to be held up. Oh, oh, the Pharisees, they're perfect. They keep all the laws. Woo! Right? They had them down. And that's what they wanted. They wanted the attention. They wanted the respect. They wanted the, the praise. And yet Jesus draws a contrast where he says, But when you pray, when you pray, my followers, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who's unseen. Then your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. So what's Jesus saying? Does that mean that we should never pray in public again? I mean, Tessa, you're in big trouble, right? Because she prayed out. Is that what he's saying? Now, remember now, he's not talking about the action, but what he is talking about is the motive, right? The heart behind it. Why are you doing what you're doing? That's the question for tonight. Why are you doing what you're doing? In fact, this uh, verse 6 for me seems to be a contradiction to something that Jesus says in chapter 5. In chapter 5 verse 16, Jesus says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Doesn't that seem like a contradiction? So which is it? Am I supposed to do my good deeds out here where people can see them? Or am I supposed to go into a room where nobody can see me and then pray in secret? Which is it? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> right? It's both. Why? Because he's talking about motive. The context in chapter 5 is Jesus says you're to be the light of the world. A city sit on a hill. A lamp that's, uh, that's lit and put on a stand so we can bring light to the whole house. He says you're to be different and to stand out. But don't do those acts of righteousness for the applause of others. Why are you doing what you're doing? So disciples should always practice good works in public. But we shouldn't draw special attention to them. Just do what the Holy Spirit's leading you to do and get on with it. And move on, not worrying about or, or hoping that someone is going to uh, notice or say something or commend. 
The Pharisees regularly used the public square as a place to be seen as holy and righteousness and righteous, and their prayers were loud and they were lengthy, and they lacked a relationship with the Father. Whether the Pharisees, when they prayed, were hoping that God would hear their prayers and answer, I don't know. But one thing that we do know for sure is that they hoped other people would hear their prayers and would think more highly of them. And that's exactly what Jesus was directing his disciples away from. Believers, those who pray out of a right relationship with the Father, we know three things. One, that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. We have an audience with our Father. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We do not have to question whether we can have an audience with our Father because He's already invited us in. He's already rolled out the red carpet for us because we've been adopted as his kids, his sons and daughters, and we have an audience with the king. We know that when we pray in a right relationship with God, that we can ask for anything in Jesus' name and it'll be done. In John chapter 14, Jesus says, And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. So Everly wasn't wrong then, right? Right? Listen now, when our hearts are right with the Father's, we will want what the Father wants. And that's the key to that verse. Man, the things that we long for and the things that we want and the things that we pursue and seek are the things that bring the Father glory, not just meet our wants, not just uh, soothe our fears right? But when we want what the Father wants, He says, oh, I'm excited to give it to you. I'm excited to give it to you. The last thing that we know when we pray in that right relationship is that the Father loves us, He's forgiven us, and He's secured our salvation. And so we can trust the Father to answer in ways that are best for us in ways that are best for us. I love reading stories about this guy named George Mueller. George Mueller was a man who was wrecked by God's grace in the mid-19th century, and he began uh, orphanages for children in, um, in England. And it was an incredible ministry that he had. But the thing that made George Mueller different... Uh, was that he was a man who was willing to simply ask God and then wait for God to show up. And uh, this is one of my favorite stories about George after he had started this um, this orphanage. And one morning, the house mother of the orphanage came to George and said, the children are dressed and they're ready for school, but there's no food for them to eat for breakfast. And George says, have have the children gather around the table. And so together with those 300 kids, George opened the, the mealtime with a prayer of thanksgiving that God for the food that God would provide. And then he waited. 
And he didn't have to wait long before there was a knock on the door, and it was the local baker. And as he talks to George Mueller, he said, I couldn't sleep last night, and I felt like God was telling me that you were going to need bread. So I got up and I baked bread and I have it for you. Can you use it? And he says, yes. And so as the baker is bringing in the bread and the bread is being set on the tables for the kids, there's another knock at the door. This time, not the baker, but the local milkman. His card had broken down outside of the orphanage. And the milk for the morning was going to spoil before he could get the cart fixed. And so he said, Mr. Mueller, could your kids use some milk this morning? And George says, yes. And they brought in the buckets of milk. And it was enough for all 300 kids to have what they needed to start the day. This was the life of George Mueller. A man who simply prayed and then waited. Why? Because of his relationship to the Father. He knew that his Father was trustworthy. He knew that his Father would respond and give him what he needed. Not everything that he wanted, but what he needed at just the right time. I was having a discussion this week with uh, Doug Foley. And Doug made this comment that's just stuck with me all week. He said, you know, when I was younger... I would pray, and I would be very grateful when God would show up in the midst of hard times. But he said, you know, as I've gotten older, I've noticed that I've begun to pray and be grateful to God even in the good times. Isn't it cool how relationship with the Father changes and deepens? To where then it begins to change our motive in prayer And that's what I really hear Doug saying, right? Is that his motive in prayer has has deepened and developed and changed over time. It's not just about I'm in need, but God, you are good. Right here in the midst of this, you're good. It's all about motive. Why do you do what you do? Well, look at these next verses, Matthew 6, verse 7 and 8. Jesus continues and he says, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they, will, for they think that they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for, the, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. One commentator said this, Jesus is attacking the idea that the length of prayer makes it effective. Pagan prayer commonly relies on length and repetition for effectiveness, the sheer quantity of words. And if we approach prayer out of the right relationship with the Father, we don't need to play those games. Jesus says you can cut right to it because your Father knows exactly what you need before you even start. He knows your heart. But he wants us to come. He wants us to ask. You know, it's, a, it's an interesting thing as I, I think about parenting, and now my kids are 21 and 17, I think. Is Blake 17? Okay, good. Um, so, I mean, we're kind of on that end of parenting, right? And I, and I, I have a little different perspective on it. 
Because it seems like as we raise our children, and those of you who have kids who are out of the house, tell me, uh, tell me that if, if this rings true for you. But we spend all these years wanting to foster independence in our kids, right? Buckle your own seatbelt, put your own shoes on, get your own drink of water, right? Pick out your own clothes, zip up your own pants, all those things, right? Like we, we, we foster independence, right? The whole time. And yet, when it comes to a relationship with the Heavenly Father, what does He want? He wants His kids to be dependent on Him. And I've thought about that so often that the way that we raise our kids seems to work against the reality of what their Heavenly Father wants in them or from them. A sense of dependence on Him. God loves it when we come to Him. I think His heart just melts when His kids come and say, Daddy, this is what's happening. Good Bad, scary, owie, all those things. God wants that from his kids. So Jesus is saying, it doesn't take a lot of words because your heavenly father that you have a relationship with, your heavenly father already knows what you need. So just come. Come with confidence and come and just ask. And just talk. Just talk with him. But an example of that many words thing, the, the story that came to mind, I won't tell the whole thing, but in 1 Kings chapter 18, and old uh, Elijah, the, the prophet, and his showdown with the prophets of Baal. And I just think that whole story, while an incredible display of God's power and Elijah's faith, I think there are some funny parts to that story that I don't always get to highlight when I'm talking with kids, but those prophets of Baal started in the morning praying to their God. And they just ramped up. It says they prayed from morning until noon. Maybe they took a little breather, a little nap, like a little refresher there. And then they just continued on till evening. And the whole afternoon, Elijah just mocked them because their God was nowhere to be found. And yet what I love is that when the time of the evening sacrifice came, Elijah said, it's my turn. You've had all day. It's my turn. And I want to read for you what Elijah prayed. Now listen, they had been praying from morning till noon, from noon until evening. This is what Elijah prayed to his father in heaven. He says, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all of these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me so that the people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. That's it. I did not count how many words that was. That did not take him long. And the fire came from heaven and burned up the sacrifice, and burned up the altar, and burned up the water that was around the altar. When we pray out of a right relationship with the Lord, it doesn't take a lot of words. Because we come knowing that our Heavenly Father is hearing us. And we can just pray. So the challenge, guys, for the week, the challenge for the week 
um, as you guys are walking out of here, as you're examining your motives is, why do you do what you do? That's the question that I want you to go with. I want you to test the answer to that. If you have the opportunity to give generously, great. But stop to ask yourself, am I doing this so that somebody else is going to think that I'm a pretty generous guy? If you have the opportunity to pray with somebody, maybe on the street, maybe in a restaurant, maybe a friend, maybe, I don't know. Do you, I want you to stop and just say, why? Why am I going to enter into this? Is there any part of it? Is there any part of it that hints at a selfish gain for me? Is there any hope in it for praise or recognition or acknowledgement from other people? Test it. Test your motives this week. Ask yourself, why do I do what I do? Because when our motives are right, it's such a sweet place to do our acts of righteousness for an audience of one. To respond because God has loved us and has showered us with grace and has saved us from the pit. And we just respond. And we live our life in that kind of way. And we don't care who else sees. And when other people do see, we pray that it would turn their faces towards the Father, that they would discover the grace that we ourselves have discovered as well. Let me pray for us as we go. God, I thank you for tonight. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would reveal to us this week the motives of our hearts. Father, that that question would resonate and would reverberate in our minds this week. Why do we do what we do? God, I just pray that you would bring an answer to our hearts, that you would whisper it to us. And Father, that we would just follow after the Spirit. Thank you for being a good, good Father. We love you. Amen.